Today on the Orthodox Ethos Podcast, we present an interview from the 2022 Unka Mountain Press Conference on the theme, the Orthodox Ethos. The purpose of this conference was to assist those desiring to go deeper into the way of being in Christ, how this is acquired, lived, and imparted. Father Josiah, thank you so much for sitting down with us during the conference and having a chat for our uh, Orthodox Ethos podcast and all of our viewers. We're just so happy that you, you came and joined us. And first of all, what do you think so far of the conference? So, you know, uh, Father Peter, before I answer that question, yeah. <laughs> I want to say just how thankful I am to see you. It's been good. I'm, I'm really delighted to be with you. You know, we've known each other for a long time. I feel very blessed to know you and to watch your ministry, to know your family and your mm -hmm. late father. I mean, the, the Hears family have been a big encouragement to me. Also to my spiritual father, Bishop Beza, who loves you we and your family him. very much. We love much. him. We love him. So to be uh, here at uh, your Orthodox Ethos Conference is a, a privilege and a joy, and especially to be with you. Thank you, Father. And may God strengthen you in all your labors uh, to bring holy orthodoxy to people and help them be saved. Thank you. And the same to you, Father. I wish the, all the best. Good struggles. The conference is, uh, looks magnificent to me. Hmm. I see so many thirsty souls, families. Mm. You know, I'm used to being here at the Antiochian village for many years, for almost 30 years. I've been coming here as a mm. priest every, at least every other year mm. for our clergy symposium. A lot of memories here, a lot of history here. But I recognized when I was driving in, I've never come here except to meet with other priests. Mm. Uh, I've always stayed here at this beautiful conference center next to priests on the left and the right mm. and uh, standing in church with 300 priests and chanting. And here we are with mixed company mm. and families. Uh, mm. it's, a, it's a different experience for me here at the village, but so far it's been extremely edifying. I mean, glory to God. So your topic here at the conference is the question of the Orthodox ethos, the acquisition of it and catechism. Yes. Uh, super important topic. We've been talking about that in our podcast a lot. Of course, we have so many converts uh, and catechumens that are finding orthodoxy online now, and they're coming through you, Patristic Nectar, and other places like Orthodox Ethos. So it's a huge topic, but I'd like to get some thoughts, you know, about that. Whatever you think. What, what are we doing as a church to reach out, to bring people to the church, and to bring them into the Orthodox Ethos through the catechetical, catechetical, you know, process. You know, I think this moment is special. Uh, I've only been Orthodox since 1993, but it's a decent span, three decades watching uh, people come into the church. And I've never seen the level of interest, uh, genuine interest in Holy Orthodoxy that I see now. Mm. You know, I have uh, in my church, when you walk into the church temple, you come into the narthex, I have on the right side, on the south side, a beautiful icon of Christ. And he's uh, surrounded by Saints Peter and Paul. Peter on his left, Paul on his right. And I always kiss St. Paul's feet when I come into the temple. 
it's my habit to go venerate the Lord and then kiss St. Paul's feet. I always pray to him and I ask him if he would pray for us and if he would help cause by his prayers, the unchainable word of God to run rapidly and have a great increase. Mm. You know, these are his words. Mm. He was confident that the word of God was more powerful than any demonic uh, element to stop the progress of mm. the gospel. He, he thought the gospel was the solution for mankind uh, to every human problem, every human dilemma. Mm. Christ is the answer yes. to the human heart. Absolutely. And I've asked him for years to increase our heart size, mine and the parishes, so that we might be able to receive more people into the church and take care of them. Mm -hmm. I really think that the, the Lord would send us more and would make us more effective evangelists and nurturers if we were willing to receive more. Mm. If we had a larger heart and we could actually bring them in and yes. assimilate them into our life. But, you know, yes. of course, that takes a, that takes a set of growth. That takes yes. self-denial. You have to, if you're going to ask that prayer, for God to send more people and to make your outreach more successful. You have to be willing to greet them when they come, Absolutely. bring them into your homes, Absolutely. spend time with them, answering their questions, share your heart with them uh, and be vulnerable. And St. Paul has uh, consistently helped our parish. I really believe that. Mm. And I've been especially shocked. I used to ask him to send if we were be worthy. I said, it'd be really nice one day if you would send 50 catechumens at a time. That's what I asked. <laughs> for years, I asked him just send 50. We used to have about, on average, 20 to 30 catechumens per year. And he, he, he did it. Uh, he did it. And then I had to change my prayer. And I thought, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? I, I, what, do I have enough faith even to ask him anything more? So I decided I was going to muster up effort, and I was going to ask him for 100. Start sending 100. And then COVID hit. And I, I was saying it with my mouth. I'm not sure I was believing it in my heart that it could happen. And COVID hit, and then all of a sudden, death manifested its face through COVID. Authoritarianism manifested its ugly face through COVID. And all of a sudden, the Lord, like a hitting a bell, woke a lot of people up, and our average catechumen numbers just doubled. Wow. We, we went from having 20 to 30 normally. Paul brought us to 50 a few years before, before COVID. And then in COVID, we reached 84 catechumens. And in our parish... Catechism is it's a serious process. It's something that we have since our founding in 1992 mm -hmm. taken very seriously. My predecessor, Father Paul Finley, was a very serious catechist himself. And uh, when I came in 1998 to St. Andrew Parish, the parish was ready. They were ready to engage the whole parish to help work together to do catechism. And God has been sending people to us, but never like today. Mm. So I, I'm glad that you've asked me to speak about this topic because I think it's in my ministry, it's never been more important than mm. today. There are more people seeking the truth, wanting to know Christ, wanting to put their feet in the stability of the church since the winds are blowing mm. so aggressively. Mm. They're falling over. They're either mm. going to fall over and lose everything, as they mm. see many people doing, or they're going to put their feet in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, grow deep roots, bear beautiful fruit for the glory of God, and be saved. Fantastic. You touched on something that really is important in my uh, ministry, my life in the church, and I've been dealing with this, and I think it's so important, is the question of what, what are we called to do? Are we called to make it, to, to, to make people, you know, uh, to like the church? Are we uh, to make it impress, impress people with the church? Are we supposed to fling the doors open and, you know, do uh, uh, gimmicky things? Because that's that's, sometimes you feel like that's what 
you know, there's a certain contingent in the church that says that that's what we got to do. We got to do whatever it takes to get people in. I said, no, if you're faithful and then you're, wor you're worthy in the sense that here they're going to find Christ. They're not going to find your passions, but they're actually going to find Christ. Then Christ will bring them, as you said, and you won't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, you got to get out of the way. That's the main project is get out of the way. Those are the passions have to leave. You have to become a true Christian. And then, of course, things will, the uh, mission will fly. What do you think about that? Is that, is that your experience as well? You're kind of touching on a little bit there about becoming worthy of, uh, of, of, of so many catechumens. The question, what do we have to do? What is God asking yes. us to do? us being every parish. Yes. This is a fantastic question. And I would say just to ask that question in some context is progress. Yeah. Because there are plenty of parish churches that don't ask that question at all. Yes. So I would say the first thing that we have to do is open our eyes up to what the church is. Right. And amongst other things, and of course, just the New Testament itself describes the church under at least 30 different images. <laughs> the yeah. church can't, it shares in Jesus's incomprehensibility as his body. You can't just make a simple definition of the church. But amongst what she is, uh, is she's apostolic. Yes. And to be apostolic means not just that you're rooted and based upon the faith of the apostles, who are the foundation stones of the church, Jesus being the cornerstone, yes. and we being living stones, building up this body of Christ. But we inherit and continue their mission, the mission that is representative of the heart of God, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten mm -hmm. son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but live forever. This is God's heart for the world. He yearns for the world, mm -hmm. and he yearns for the world through us. Mm -hmm. So to accept who we are, that the mission of God for the church is to be the world's light, to be the world's salt means that you have to have an outward orientation. Yes. Of course, our primary orientation is east. We're facing the Lord God. We're seeking him in the holy liturgy. His second coming. We're anticipating the return of yes. Christ in yes. every single liturgy, yes. hoping for it and looking for it. But if we are face to face with God, so to speak, then we're becoming like him, which means that we also have an orientation Absolutely. to the world. Absolutely. And we have a great desire to, to bring people into the life of God. And that's the task of catechism. It's the sharing of the life of Christ. Mm. We're sharing a life. We're not sharing information. Mm. Information is important. There's content. There is evangelical content that must be communicated. Sure. Who is God? We need sure. to teach people. Absolutely. What is a human being? Sure. What is sin? That's who, a part, who is Jesus? That's a part of the purification process to be an illumination process of, of, of understanding reality. What is re, what, yes. are, what are we doing here? What is true? And what is true? Yeah. How absolutely. can I, how do I know God? How do I know myself? Yeah. What is the church? Who is the Holy Spirit? I mean, these are things that are, are typically covered in catechetical sure. instruction. But forgive me, that's the easy part. That's the easy part. That's the easy part. And many many people are getting this uh, through publications. You know, when I when I converted the number of orthodox books in english was far far less than yes. it is now yes and if we go back a few years my oldest convert she's 92 now dorothy is her name when dorothy converted which was something like 65 70 years ago there were two books two books uh, in the english language that were commonly accessible wow. and that were given to her by by her priest when she wow. became orthodox so as far as the ability to communicate the basic theological tenets of holy orthodoxy we're light years ahead of where yes. we were. Yes. We're doing a great job. Uncut Mountain Press is doing a great job. Glory to God. Thank God. 
But that's the easy part. You can't pass on what you don't have. Yes. And so the, the call for the church, if we want to reach our land, if we want to glorify God by helping people know him, we have to be invested first and foremost in actually living the life of repentance and faith. Mm. We have to live for him. We have to genuinely be seeking him. Mm. And if we do that, then when we talk, it will be consonant with our life. You know, people can see through. If you're a catechist and you're going to try to reach someone, the most important thing is that your life actually is consonant with what you're saying. Absolutely. A lot of times we can't speak because if we speak, we'll reveal ourselves. This is it. We'll expose it. ourselves as it. not really yet being where we should be in Christ. That's it. So for the sake of our loved ones, for the sake, this, I'll use an example. I often have meetings with catechumens who once they discover holy orthodoxy, they're on fire. Mm. And of course, they want their loved ones to know. If it's a husband, he wants his wife. If it's a wife, she wants her husband. If it's parents, they want their children, etc. Yes. And they'll, they'll come and they'll ask me, as I'm sure they ask all over the world, they ask priests this question, what can I do? How can I get my spouse to come? How can I get my kids to become Orthodox? And as you said, we have to get out of the way. This is what I tell them. I said, look, if you really want to bring your spouse, then your orthodoxy will prove itself in the change of your life. Mm. Your spouse will see your heart grow in size, your forgiveness grow, your patience grow, your self-knowledge grow, your humility grow. Mm -hmm. This is the consequence of knowing God, is that you become like him. The Christ we serve is the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's mm. the only place in all the Gospels he tells us the content of his own heart. Wow. Gentle and humble. And that's what he makes us. That's what he makes his people. So much of uh, orthodoxy is uh, skewed because we want to talk before we live. Yes. And so the call for success, the ultimate apologetic of the truth of orthodoxy, is the transformation of human life through union with God, and that shows itself in our, then, then our loved ones are deeply drawn. Then they say, what's going on with you? Mm. What is this? Even if they may have an aversion to it because they're, they're in some religious movement that isn't favorable to holy orthodoxy, mm -hmm. they can't deny a person's transformation. Absolutely. You can't deny it. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's, that's fantastic. So tell, tell us a little bit about how you go about with those 100 or so catechumens to bringing them step by step into, simulating them into the life of the church and acquiring the orthodox ethos, the orthodox phronema. Is there anything you can give us, a little, just a few words about that? I know it's a massive topic, but. Uh, it is a massive topic. And one of the first things I teach them is that they're entering into a relationship of discipleship with Christ, right? Just to be a disciple, a mathitis, literally means a student, mm. right? You're gonna be a pupil of the master Christ, not just during your catechism, for your whole life. Mm. So I, I try to encourage the catechumens, get settled in this position because you're never gonna leave it. Mm. Catechism is not just for the inquirer to make them a catechumen or for the catechumen to make them baptized. Yes. Catechism is for every Orthodox Christian for their whole life. Yes. Our savior said, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free, mm. will set you free. He wasn't saying that to catechumens. He was saying that to his disciples. Yes. Abiding in the word of Christ, this is the call of our life. This is how we, every time we pick up the scriptures, 
It's an act of communion. That's it, the intent in, mm. in reading the Word of God. Elder Emilianos of Simenopetra says that when you turn the pages of the scriptures, you should imagine yourself of, of holding Jesus' garments. Mm. You're actually moving his clothes. Mm. That's who you have in your hands. That's who's communicating with you as you listen to the Word so, of God in church and as you're that, doing that. That realism of orthodoxy, that incarnate, you know, uh, you're, you're face to face with Yeah, the and the personalism. Yes. I mean, really, this is not about ideology. Yes. Uh, this is about meeting and living with the triune God. Yes. And that's a lifetime quest. So how do, how do we help communicate that to catechumens? Well, you should have a program. That's obvious, right? The church uh, has always been dedicated. We, we have an incredible history of major catechetical centers from the beginning, er, from the earliest days of the church, major powerhouse catechetical centers, mm. not just local churches, but cities, Alexandria had an unbelievable mm -hmm. centuries-long catechetical school with a succession of incredible evangelists mm -hmm. and, and theologian teachers. And this is the case wherever the church goes. She has certain centers. And then the parishes are also outlets where they're going to be taught by the liturgy, even if they don't have maybe a priest who feels competent to do great catechism. The liturgy itself is a massive catechism, learning mm -hmm. that... What we pray, we believe, and what we believe, we pray. Mm -hmm. Participating and, and listening to the readings in the scriptures. We see this for catechumens, especially in the readings of Lent. Genesis, mm -hmm. Isaiah, Proverbs. These mm -hmm. are readings that the church established, particularly to train the catechumens. We try in our parish to uh, engage people in the program. And I must say, you have to have some expectations. Mm -hmm. I tell all of the inquirers who want to become catechumens out of my parish, I said, are you prepared to make this the number one priority of your life until you're baptized? Mm. Because there's nothing more important in any human being's life than establishing their relationship with God. This mm. will determine everything else in your life. Mm -hmm. Everything you do from here on out is built upon the foundation of your faith in God mm. and your life in the Orthodox Church. And therefore, nothing can get in its way. Birthday parties, this and that. Are you prepared to make this the number one commitment in your life? Sometimes I think we priests are scared to say that, but we shouldn't be scared to say that. Mm. It's authentic and they like to hear it because they know what it is. They know yes. that that's true. They're yes. experiencing it. So asking people to make a commitment and then the more you invest, the more serious they understand that if you don't have a catechism program and you're not yourself investing in them, then they mm. recognize this is a trivial, a trivial right. task. Right, right, right. So have a program, be committed to it, the deeper you go, the more time you spend with, with catechumens, the better chance that they're going to have to put roots down, to really, I call it orthodoxize their life, mm. to learn, they need time to think through how to live at home, how mm. to interact as yes. a spouse, how to interact with my children. And they do that through a wide exposure to the church. So besides our priests in our parish giving lessons, which we do on Saturday afternoons, 16 of those a year, Mm -hmm. eight before nativity, eight before Pascha. We also have a lay catechetical team. Mm. And these are people who have specialties in a particular subject. Mm -hmm. And we bring the, we pray for the, for the catechumens. This is also very important. Mm. The, I, I, I think that the neglect of the litany of the catechumens, especially in a context of like America, Amen. is a terrible tragedy. Of course. Uh, and so to pray for the catechumens, to help them in their struggle against evil. You know, no one approaches Christ and the truth without incredible demonic opposition. They need, this is why the priests have always participated in praying for the catechumens, in exorcising the catechumens, in praying for God's protection against the evil one, so that they can have the grace of God to succeed in 
and purifying their lives and being able to come to a position where they can be presented by their sponsors as legitimate candidates for, mm -hmm. for Fultismos. So that's, that's the process. We involve a, a large number of lay people, not just to get them involved, but also so that they can make contacts with different laity. Mm -hmm. They can become friends. The more people that they meet, they can invite into homes. They can see what it really looks like on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can move from just, you know, a head idea to right. a lived a whole, experience. A whole way of life. So yeah. they, they begin to pray at home. They begin to have a prayer rule. They begin yes. to do all the services and, uh, yes. and uh, just to assimilate fully into the life of the parish, just like any, any other. That's uh, right. Yeah. And, they, and, it, and it can't be done. Forgive me. I'm, I'm not trying to ex make this, you know, harder than it needs to be, but it can't be done quickly. No, it can't be done quickly. They need time, you know, in the, um, is there a minimum? Do you put a minimum? I do. In the, in, in the early church, in Hippolytus, in Hippolytus's apostolic tradition, there's a, that's a good example of typical catechism. Remember, this is uh, the pagan empire, Roman yes. empire. People right. are in a very religiously developed uh, scene. But in many ways, pagan life was much closer to Christian life than secular life. Is. Yes. They yes. believed in the supernatural realm. They believed in the gods. They believed in prayer. To take someone in our context, who many people today coming to the Orthodox Church literally have nothing but secular backgrounds. In the early church, the standard, according to Apostles, is three years. Three years. Three years. Is that from the three years of the Apostles with the Lord? I don't know. There are references from different fathers who, ref who reference that, yeah, but I don't know I, if that's I, I, it's something the, that, uh, the reason. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. I think it is, but uh, even if it's not, it seems the standard saints, I think... Uh, in Jerusalem, uh, Cyril, Cyril as, as well as is doing three years, it seems like, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm not, I don't do three years, although I have done eight years. I mean, that's my longest catechism, catechism he's, he, took He stuck years. around, that's yeah, good. Yeah, he stuck around and he, he needed to, and God blessed him for it. It was uh, important. Yeah. He was trying to wait for his wife to come around, and he also had business to do. Uh, but normally I ask, I only receive converts on Great and Holy Saturday. So you have to have a full year. That's the minimum. Yeah. So if you join, let's say you, you get enrolled in Christmas, you're going to go to that Pascha and then one more year. Mm -hmm. So that, and that's a minimum. And if anything, if, any, if I was going to fault myself for that, for my plan, if anything, it's too short. Mm -hmm. Now doing that, I've been able to, I've been able to track recidivism rates, mm -hmm. uh, which in general, uh, I think most priests would bear witness are atrocious because we don't have a high commitment to a serious catechism, people come and they don't have time to build the kind of roots that they need to weather the storm. Right. You know, there's a lot of uh, excitement when you first discover the church, right. a lot of enthusiasm. Right. But what happens after you're a neophyte for one year, then it's, it's, it's gone. Right. What happens then? How are you going to stick it out and learn to push through those periods and continue to seek God? Just like you do in any other significant relationship, like marriage. Right? Marriage is right. not just all... Right. You know, well, faithfulness it. means you are patient and you persevere, right? So, if you if you if things have to be done quickly, then maybe there's maybe there's not the resolu resolution is not quite there, right? They need to wait. Yeah, we're very impatient today about everything. So yes, yeah, <laughs> one year is probably a long time for an American. We are <laughs> in that sense. We are, but you know, I, I really respect. I, I also respect. America has very many unique religious qualities. And from a position of the church, a lot of crazy religious equalities. And this is the nation of invented religion. Yes. Like no other nation in the history of the world. We've invented yes. more religions. But I also respect uh, America. Americans also are willing to make radical changes. Yes. And they're willing to 
listen, <clears throat> hear someone out. And uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to see the broad interest in holy orthodoxy from every aspect of American life. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Hispanic community, the Asian community is growing in, mm -hmm. in their interest. Um, the African-American community, we still have, I think, a lot of work to do to, mm. to meet them and to, to reach them. But I, I think that the catechumens who are coming to the church, as I'm traveling around and seeing them, are a very broad representation of mm. American life. And this bodes very, very well from the church. And the more that we have that, the more we can break out of the idea that Orthodox churches should be segregated according to, to ethnicities. I think that's a terrible witness for the church. Mm. I really do. I think that in to come here to this country and then to stay broken up into our ethnic uh, groups betrays the universality of the yes. church. And yeah. it makes people who are from the outside look at us and think, well, that's that's for them. Mm. That's not for me. Yeah. I especially am, am seriously opposed to using Greek, Russian, Antiochian, Romanian in our church titles that we put on signs on the streets. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you do that kind of thing, that's, that's an interior real, reality yeah. for yeah, us. Yeah. To proclaim it on your letterhead, to yeah. proclaim it on signs, is a message to the rest of the world saying, this is not where you're supposed to be. Right, right. And it's actually, actually been condemned, at least by a local council in the Patriarchate of Constantinople, the idea that you would put the ethnic identity equal or above the Orthodox identity, and 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 you would segregate along those lines. Yeah. So it's very problematic, especially in a missionary setting. Tell me something. What's the hardest thing for people to to get past? What's the passion or sickness that they 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 have the hardest time through the catechetical process putting aside, and and saying now I'm not going to do that anymore. You know. That's the best question. Yeah. There's no better question than that, Father. <laughs> I'm speaking only from my experience, but in my experience, the hardest challenge is for people in a uh, generally thin religious experience who have been taught that Christianity is uh, this nice exchange where you say a prayer, Jesus comes into your life, and then you're clean and it's good, everything's mm. good. Orthodoxy is not clean like that at all. The process of growing in the knowledge of God is a process of revelation, self-revelation, of discovering more and more how your heart is out of accord with God. Constant revelation, constant deepening of repentance. The image that I use to help people understand this is from St. Paul. The end of his life, he's writing his pastoral epistles, right? He's not far from his martyrdom. And he writes to St. Timothy, his son, this early bishop in the church and apostle. And he says, this is a true statement worthy to be accepted by everyone, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am number one. I'm protos. People read that and they go, oh, what a nice thing to say, you know, false humility. Mm. He wasn't lying. He mm. wasn't lying. This was a man who had gone to the third heaven. This is a man who lived in intimate communion with Christ, who had sacrificed everything for the church who was so cherished and loved by the Lord, who saw him in glory and he meant it. How, mm -hmm. could, how could a person that sanctified, who had literally given up even the possibility of taking a wife or any sort of earthly comfort at all, he had given it all up for the sake of undistracted devotion to Christ. And he spends his whole life on the verge of martyrdom at all times. And then he says, I'm the most biggest of sinners. 
to many, that's a confusing dilemma, never to be solved. Mm. But I explain it to people like this. I, I say, look, look at my cassock. Actually, this is a good example because this is a very old cassock. I've had this cassock for like 25 years. Wow. I have nursed. I have held on my shoulders so many of my children when they were babies. And their snot stains are literally, <laughs> they're all over this cassock. No matter how much you wash it, they're all over my shoulders. <laughs> and people don't see it. It's black and we're in dim light. But if you got a high-powered light and you brought this right here and you look, you would see the damage that's been done to my cassock. You just don't have the light to see it. Yes. St. <laughs> Paul lived. He lived in the uncreated life. That light almost destroyed him when he first saw Christ in yeah. the heavens. But he learned to live in it. And when you learn to live in it, you see yourself as you truly are. Yes. What to us maybe is a small thing. I mean, forgive me. There's many of my sins I don't even know that I have. It's not yeah. that I'm, I'm trying to work on. I haven't succeeded. I'm so blind. Yeah. I don't even know they're there. Yes. Paul was living under the radiance of Christ. He saw himself for what he is. And that was a genuine. He never, he never forgave himself for being a, a persecutor of the church. And that, that sense of humility... Being able to accept what the church says. When you, when you start participating, you go to daily services. I've watched many catechumens start coming to we have services every day. And they start listening to what's being said in the octoikos, especially on Mondays. <laughs> and they're like, what? I mean, the things we say about ourselves, about our repentance, about our sins are so shocking that in their mind, how could they have peace and feel that way about themselves? And that, combining those things, is the biggest challenge for catechumens to accept who they really are and to know that God loves them despite that and more than they could ever dream. Mm. Combining those two together, accepting mm. the truth Mercy about of God, yourself. the love of God, and our utter wretchedness. Yes, which in my mind are the, the two truths that constitute a, a Christian disposition, a true Christian disposition. Well, it, it said that the, the saints, the, more, the closer you get to the light the more imperfection you see. So if you say, I don't have imperfection, you're far from the light. Yeah, you're you blind. Know, you're blind. <laughs> you're in darkness. Yeah. So it's a proof of Paul's going to the third heaven and all the rest that he said, I am the, I'm the chief of sinner. And he meant it. Yeah, he yeah. did. And many catechumens try to push that. They, they, they're, it, it hurts. And they think that that will steal their peace when in fact that coming to the truth about yourself and being overwhelmed by the love of God in that state yes. is, the, is the way to be untouchable. Yes. You can actually establish peace, which isn't connected to any self-concept of doing something right or being righteous right. in your own mind. Right. You can actually be accepted by God. And then that becomes the fuel for wanting to improve. Uh, but out of love for Christ. Because in, you've in been Christ. loved. Yes. How yes. could you not love him back? Yes. Yes. This is a totally different. People can go through all the motions, look like they're in deep repentance, and yet they're not actually making any progress because it's externalized, it's, it's ritualistic, it's whatever. I've seen once the, once the, once the new converts get through that and they, they understand life with God, then yeah, good future. Yeah, good they're going to do well. Thank you so much for joining us and having a few words with us during the conference. Thank you for coming to the conference. Thank you, dear Father. Good struggles ahead. Yeah, Patristic Nectar may, may continue to soar. By your and prayers. many new publications. We're so grateful for By the lives prayers. of the saints that you've put out now. Thank and you've you. got many more things coming. Thank you. Yeah.
Ты мы с ним любим, 